And welcome to Night Cheese. This is Steven. And I'm Tim. And I'm Jared. And appreciate you guys joining us. Uh, sorry, we, we were off for a week or so. Um, well, you know, you know, life happens. And so uh, we, we lived life. And so here we are. We're back and um, <laughs> picking up where we left off. Um, uh, so a little bit of a scheduling change. Uh, when we announced things at the beginning of the month, we said we'd uh, uh, finish out the month with uh, Judas and the Black Messiah and then uh, Queen of Katwe. And so um, because we had to take a week, we're going to push Queen of Katwe to later in the year. Um, so tonight we'll be covering Judas and the Black Messiah, and we have some more uh, uh, fun topics in the next uh several weeks uh so we'll uh we'll get to those as they arrive but tonight uh we will be discussing the brand new um 2021 release uh judas and the black messiah which is available on hbo max uh and in theaters if uh it is a healthy responsible decision for you wherever you are to go to go see one uh see a theater see a film in a theater so judas and the black messiah uh directed by shaka king who's um something of a, of a newcomer director. He um, doesn't have a, a ton of credits under his belt. I think it goes back to about 2008 or so. Um, but this is uh, for sure the, the heaviest hitting release he's got uh, yeah. so far. And um, uh, what a great story is that something of a kind of, I, I feel weird calling it a biopic uh, cause it's really just about kind of a moment in time rather than the, someone's entire life. But um, the story of the betrayal and assassination of um, Deputy Chairman Fred Hampton of the Illinois Black Panther Party. Um, it's a real mouthful, but Daniel Kaluuya says it so smoothly. It's, 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 it's honestly kind of enviable. Um, and, and that really is kind of the story of this film is Daniel Kaluuya. It's really is the cast. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's, it's kind of an intimate cast. It's not incredibly huge. Uh, and it's carried mostly by three or four people. Um, Daniel Kaluuya, who plays Fred Hampton, uh, Lakeith Stanfield, who plays William O'Neill, um, Jesse Plemons, who, uh, you might remember depending on your, where your mileage goes, Friday night lights or breaking bad, uh, or, or the, the latter season of breaking bad and, uh, some other things, uh, Dominique Fishback and, uh, a, almost hardly recognizable Martin Sheen, who plays uh, J. Edgar Hoover, um, the director of the FBI. It, this this movie is fresh out of the gate, uh, but it's already hit some really high ratings. Um, Rotten Tomatoes, the critic score is a 96%. And uh, guys, my, my, my working theory on um, African-American themed films <laughs> that has been broken, uh, the user rating is, is equal, actually better than the critic rating. The critic rating was 96%. The user rating in Rotten Tomatoes is 97%, which is uh, wow. something we see every day. Uh, granted, uh, I mean, I'm not trying to, to still throw fuel on my theory here but but it is a new film so you know i'm sure those numbers might fluctuate as reviews continue to come in at the time those numbers were reflective of about 230 critic reviews and it just says 50 plus Mm -hmm. uh reviews so those may still be piling in is this the newest film we've like as far as like the release and now we're talking about this feels like maybe one of the newer other than maybe one night in miami um, I, I think this is holistically the newest release we yeah. ever discussed. One Night in Miami was released universally sooner, like to film festivals oh, and yeah, stuff. Oh, yeah, that's right. But, right. but it wasn't really made available for public consumption yeah. until pretty close to our episode on that. Yeah. However, yeah, Judas and the Black Messiah, especially especially um, when we were intending to record this episode, yeah. was mm-hmm. right yeah. fresh out of the proverbial yeah. kitchen. So, uh, yeah, it's IMDb rated. 
is 7.8 and its Metacritic score is 86, which for a Metacritic score is, is really high. I was looking, uh, they have not announced Academy Award nominations for this year and won't for a few more weeks. until uh, about March 15th, I think, is the day they're expecting to announce those. But for now, it has been nominated for three different um, high-profile awards uh, and, and dozens of others from film critic associations. But it has been nominated for two Golden Globes. Um, one thing that I was surprised about, you guys, is Daniel Kaluuya and his, his portrayal of Fred Hampton. He's nominated for Best Supporting Actor at the Golden Globes, which I mean, Kaluuya certainly deserves whatever nomination comes his way. Because, And we'll, we'll talk about that more tonight, I'm sure. But that seems weird, doesn't it? I'm not alone in that. Like, I would have assumed he would have been being considered for lead actor material. I don't know what the, you know, the rules are actually with Academy Awards, which I probably should know in terms of like if there are certain qualifiers for that. But I mean, if you think about it, William O'Neill yeah. uh, mm-hmm. is is really the protagonist in, in kind of that is true. In, in kind of the same way that like, OK, I couldn't. This is my fault for this for this Marvel reference. This is very brief. and I'm going <laughs> to get oh, back yeah. to it. But in kind of the same way that Thanos is the protagonist in Infinity War. So, I, you know, I think through that, he is sort of the he is sort of the lead actor. Yeah. That is true. I, I would argue that Fred Hampton is, is the figure that probably gets the most attention as the most persuasive and magnetic mm-hmm. performances. But you do experience the story through O'Neill's mm-hmm. eyes. Right. Um, and so you'd be you'd be correct on that. So really if one of them was going to be nominated for best actor, it would probably be like Stanfield just based on the structure of the story. Yeah, I guess, which on, I, I watched it twice and on second viewing, you know, I was so captivated by Kaluuya's performance the first time. Uh, I already knew what we were, what I was getting into the second mm-hmm. time. And really there are some subtle strokes uh, there by Stanfield, but his is, it's just a different kind of performance because their two characters and their two personas were just in two different, states of mind but they both play them and execute them so well mm-hmm. so uh not only is kaluuya nominated for best supporting actor at the golden globes but he's also nominated at the sag awards for best supporting actor for this year and then the um the film has a, a best original song nomination at the golden globes as well called fight for you from uh tiara thomas let's see uh, I'm, I'm, I don't know these artists, so I apologize if I get this wrong. Uh, Her, which H-E-R is, is an abbreviation, and uh, DeMille. And so that's another, uh, I, think that, I think it plays over the end credits. I'm, I'm pretty sure. Not 100% on that. Um, okay, well, uh, so those are kind of the uh, particulars out of the way. So let's get into some insights, some impressions. Uh, guys, what are your, um, I, first thing I want to talk about, because I know Tim will will jump on this because we talked about this long before we decided to to try to make this work as an episode was the trailer for this movie. Tim, Tim, give me your thoughts on the trailer. A lot of trailers, you know, sometimes they feel so cookie cutter. You know, like there's maybe one. Just as an example, like back then, you know, Inception comes out this trailer, and then everything else kind of copies that format. And um, uh, with this one, I feel like it was one of those. Um, kind of doing its own thing and just completely, just really, really incredibly captivating for like a, you know, like a two and a half minute trailer. It was just really gripping. And um, I'm really, I don't know what they did with it. Um, man, it was just gripping. It was powerful. The trailer alone was, was really great. 
Jared, I haven't. I don't think you and I have actually talked about the trailer at all. So I don't know if you've even seen it or if it even. I haven't. No, okay. I, haven't, I haven't seen it at all because it was, you know, coming out so soon. Uh, yeah, I kind of went into it not really knowing anything about the story other than, you know, it it centering around key figures in the Black Panther Party. Um, this is subtly speaking, maybe one of my favorite trailers. Like, and I'd love if we if we have time one day, or if we we want to do some sort of you know novelty episode, I'd love to do an episode just about our favorite trailers and stuff. Uh, because um, they they shine a little. Sometimes they shine a light on movies that don't deserve praise anything <laughs> past that. Um, and so uh, you know, this is a chance to give a shout out to other films. Mm-hmm. But um, I thought this was one of the best executions of telling you what a film was going to be about Mm -hmm. without really um like it gave you so much information without you feeling like the movie was spoiled for you yeah yeah um like it's kind of like you know like you know where this movie's going to go like for instance like when you have a movie titled the assassination of jesse james by the coward robert ford like <laughs> you, you you know where that movie's going to go <laughs> uh, eventually so so the ending is not something you necessarily need to be concerned with um but it's the journey there and there is a very simple but very powerful song in the background which um yeah it's really expressive and uh, and just just instrumental uh, kind of reminded me of I mean not tonally but just just the way the personality of the song fit the tone of the film and the trailer reminds me of the first time I saw a trailer for Black Panther no no pun intended the, the Marvel film Black Panther when they used uh, run the jewels um, in, the, in the background of that trailer, which was uh, a great companion piece and something so different than all those other Marvel films that experienced prior to that. Um, but this one is like, it's just centered around, mainly around one scene in the movie, which is a big speech that Fred Hampton gives in, in a church. And it is a, whew, a, a powerful scene and a powerful speech. Um, and there's just so much... Uh, uh, crescendo and 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 building and anticipation and stuff uh in that trailer until it just kind of comes to a head which is really um really powerful so anyway it's a great trailer um so um another thing i wanted to talk about is i'm curious to know um y'all's history in in either in school or just you know how the three of us were raised and stuff in the public perception of the black panthers uh in our past and now in our present, uh, you know, juxtaposed with how the movie presented them through through the different key figures and characters in the movie. Uh, so I'd, I'd be interested to hear, um, you know, what exposure, if any, uh, you guys might have had. Uh, Jared, I'm interested to hear your take, knowing the area of Georgia you were raised. And, you know, we've talked about that a little bit in the past. Like, did did they did they cover the Black Panthers in Georgia history when you were in eighth grade or anything? Or, or? You know, as as far as the Black Panthers specifically, I can't remember. Uh, I can unfortunately tell you all sorts of um, similarly related stories, but um I can't remember exactly, you know, specifics of what what we were taught with the Black Panthers. I, I just know that the general 
idea or um, at least my interpretation or memory of it, of, of, you know, what we were taught was not exactly what the, what's laid out in, in the film where there's, um, I think it's, um, I forgot the actor's name, but he, in Breaking Bad, he was referred to as Meth Damon. Is it Jesse? Is it oh, Jesse, Jesse Plemons? Jesse Plemons. Plemons. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Um, at one point in there, he articulates or presents it, I think, to William O'Neill that basically the Black Panthers are sort of the opposite side of the coin of the KKK, if I, if I remember right. Yeah. Yeah. He's not, he brings that up. Yeah. Uh, I don't know that it was quite to, to that level, um, but I think it was sort of in that ballpark, depending on, you know, which teachers were talking about here. I actually did have, um, you know, a, a couple of, of really good teachers who are, um, that, you know, I've kept up with and they're, they're quite liberal and, and, um, so it wasn't that across the board, but I, yeah, I, I especially, I especially remember, you know, from certain people sort of this take that they were somewhere in the ballpark of being sort of the black version of the KKK. Tim, uh, what, what was your experience? Exact same thing. I, I don't think I remember, you know, like, like Jared just said, I, I don't, I don't know if I remember a lot about what I learned in school. Um, Necessarily, I don't remember much of that. I don't if we learned anything about the Black Panther Party, but um, but definitely, you know, and I kind of brought this up with like Malcolm X, you know, with One Night in Miami. There definitely was that sort of take on, yeah, like not again, not not quite like the KKK, but I mean, I've I, I in the past, I definitely heard them, you know, the thrown around, you know, domestic terrorists, that sort of thing. Um, definitely got some of that. So there were definitely, you know, kind of. All, you know, growing up, you know, kind of viewed in like this negative light, like these antagonists. But, you know, kind of like, you know, talking with about Malcolm X. May, well, maybe I'll wait and let you share a little bit first and then kind of how that's kind of unraveled over the, the years. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. Let's um, before we uh, this is a fashionable word right now. Before we deconstruct, yeah. let's um, <laughs> exactly. talk about, uh, you know, our, our ideas or at least our ideas of history, you know, here. And how we were raised on those ideas. Uh, let's let's talk about at least where we started. Um, yeah, you know, I don't. I want to be truthful without coming across as cynical. Like the, um, yeah. To be honest, yeah, I, I didn't have any education on the Black Panthers in like Georgia history or, or, or much uh, much of my education uh, coming up through. I mean, gosh, even through college. I mean, although my college wasn't really dedicated towards American history in any way, uh, my college experience, so that that's understandable. But prior to that, there wasn't much of one, and 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 not to not to sound too sarcastic or anything, but obviously that would require some attention to Black history in general for it yeah. to even happen. Uh, so so that's one reason I know it didn't come up, but also, um, yeah, it just uh, I. I know I was always I came up with an idea of it having like a negative connotation, but mm -hmm. some some form or fashion. Uh, whether that was, uh, you know, words like domestic terrorism or, or just just something, whatever it was it was something fearsome and something dangerous. Uh, you know, the the images I, I remember uh, coming up with was you know being armed, being militant, uh, and 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 uh, against white people. You know, so it's very, mm -hmm. very selective uh, thoughts, 
And and I will say, for what it's worth, that that it's not a hundred percent factually incorrect mm-hmm. uh, either. But there there's missing gaping holes of context missing to that too, uh, which I think are explored well in this film, at least to an extent. And so, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's been good, especially watching. Watching some of these films uh, this month and also just kind of, you know, trying to learn more from some of those voices, just kind of get an idea of how things came about the way they were. And and we'll talk about this uh, uh, in, a, in a couple of minutes, too, but also like the government's perception of them. And so with their perception, their perception of groups like this sort of trying to take control of the narrative and force the narrative to be the source of things that we thought. Uh, when we were coming up. So um, anyway, uh, yeah. So Tim, uh, why don't you jump back on what you were talking, you were saying something about Malcolm X and, and things changing. Oh. Like what were you? Well, yeah, you know, kind of like I, <laughs> to go back to the word deconstruction, but just, you know, I'm, I'm sure we've all been doing, you know, for years now, but just, you know, as you obviously grow up, mature, have a, a wider view of things, kind of realizing those places in the past where I might've, you know, either overlooked, you know, or, been just completely wrong about things and i i think in the last you know however many years you know like malcolm x like other people that we just don't learn about during black history because they're not kind of the sanitized you know white approved people that we can learn about um the black panther party definitely became one of those where i really started kind of re like okay this is what i've imagined in the past this is what kind of maybe not directly but just kind of in you know surrounding circles you know, people have spoken about what are, what are they really about, and kind of learning like, oh, okay, yeah, the the things we saw, you know, the 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 black men with assault rifles outside of buildings, that was the flashy, you know, kind of like media, you know, that's what got the attention. But kind of looking and seeing, um, kind of in the back, like that was one aspect, uh, you know, in the sense of just like defending themselves, and the police wouldn't do that, you know, when the government wouldn't defend the black community, help the black community. They kind of had to step up and combat police brutality themselves. But even looking away, that was just one tiny fraction seeing like how they really focus so much on community programs. And so like in the history of the black Panther, but there were over, I think 60 or more community programs like doing, you know, you saw a little bit of it in the film, like the free breakfast for school kids. Um, But just like, you know, free clothing, free shoes, um, I mean, all free health care, um, even in Winston, uh, I want to say Winston, Salem, North Carolina. So one, so this is just one small, you know, chapter of the Black Panther Party, but they even provided, um, free ambulance rides to hospitals because that like they hospitals wouldn't do that for black people in certain places. So a lot of it was almost like, okay, our oppressor, you know, to use, <laughs> to use the term, I think, you know, correctly, you know, the government, when they wouldn't do for black people and minorities that they would do for white people, they kind of had to step in and kind of do it themselves and kind of get, you know, get communities to kind of all work together to do a lot of this. And um, just, yeah, looking back at, man, I mean, even as an example, I know they didn't bring this up again in the, uh, in the film, but Fred Hampton, before he died, um, he had organized enough to where they were feeding over 3000 kids in Chicago, uh, which is incredible. So I think, I think, they, they touch on it here and there in the film, but I'm um, kind of relearning and seeing that, oh, a lot of, a lot of this, uh, a lot of the blank pa- Black Panther Party was kind of, 
born out of just, hey, the, you know, we can't rely on our oppressors to, to help us. We can't wait, wait on them to do what needs to be done to help those that are in need. So they kind of jumped in and did it, uh, did it instead and, you know, obviously got the attention of the FBI and the government. And that's kind of what I've been learning. I'm, I mean, I, I feel weird talking about it because I'm sure I'm, I'm, I know so little, you know, I'm still learning and still reading, but um, it's just really opened my eyes to see that there is so much good that, you know, the FBI and the government with their disinformation campaign, it really worked because I feel like a lot of people still think of the Black Panther Party as, as just these people, you know, people with, you know, assault rifles that are threatening white people when really it was just to, to stand up for themselves, to defend themselves and nobody else would. Yeah, no, listen, Tim, that was, um, thanks for sharing all that. And I think, you yeah. know, it's, it, it's important to, uh, to, to continue. I, I don't think, um, it's hard to, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm laughing at myself because I almost said, you know, it's hard to be white. Um, it's <laughs> not, not really. Um, it's, it's hard to articulate sometimes when you are trying to learn more in your adult life about something that you feel like you should have known for. Yeah. That, that, that yes. pretty well sums up my yeah. feeling right there. Yeah. Like yeah. there's just certain different elements of this where like, I'm, I start to say something. I'm like, I, I know I'm an idiot about this. I know absolutely nothing about this. So I'm just going to shut up. You know? <laughs> also, I think saying that out loud is more valuable than saying nothing. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's totally. not that we're not necessarily trying to take control and take narrative and take the reins of the conversation. I, I mean, within our own sphere of this podcast, that's one thing. But like, you know, it's not like any of us are trying to be the thought leaders in this type of, yeah. you know, subject. I, I'll take I'll take multiple back seats for that because <laughs> I don't have the the resume for that for that kind of leadership uh, on, on that topic. But we can talk about our own um, advance. Uh, advancement's not really the right word, but our, but our own progress and, yeah. and catching up with that kind of stuff. And I think that's really. useful. And um, I, I'm and, sure I butchered a lot of, a lot of what I, I'm sure it was very surface level. And my understanding is still only like so deep, you know, it's not, it's not, um, very comfortable. So I feel weird even talking much about it at all because hey, well, uh, I've learned so little, but, um, but yeah, but anyways, yeah. I think staying humble about that, but still willing to have the conversations and admit your oh, ignorance. Yeah. I mean, that's that's why we did the Black Lives Matter related films last mm. year. And that's why we're doing these this yeah. month. And as I try to learn about that. And um, there's just so many things. Yeah, I, I think that it's very it's very interesting. Um, I'll, I'll choose that word carefully that, you know, you bring up an interesting point, Tim, the a lot of the people and the Black Panther Party. And I want to get to the other side of the coin too, because mm -hmm. I appreciate that this film did not shy away from the fact that Fred Hampton was a provocateur at the mm -hmm. same time. He, he, he talks, he talked very plainly about killing police as, as, and, and, and at the same time he was trying to serve the needs of his underserved community. So he's not, he's not uh, blameless. Um, but at the same time, I feel like the kill the police message is, is, has been fought to be the only thing that gets preserved through time, you know, but I think there's something really interesting to observe. And especially the way you pointed that out is that the black Panthers saw a need in their community and it's in their, in the community that we're talking about is Chicago, uh, which is still uh, a community that, um, a, a collection of communities that still have a lot of needs and they were tired of and never trusted 
or sought to rely on someone else to give them that need. They did not want to rely on the government to try to meet that need because they didn't trust it. Fred Hampton is saying, you don't fight yeah. a corrupt government with guns. You fight fight it with the people mm-hmm. um, yeah. and with, with socialism. Yeah. And so he's seeking to like relationally, re- relationally connect with his community by meeting the needs of his community in order to change the collective thought of the community. And it's funny because you will see, you know, and, and little Facebook posts and tweets uh, from every uh, wretched corner of, of social media about how underserved communities really just need to pull themselves up by their bootstraps or, you know, mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. Uh, and here the black Panthers are meeting that need yeah. and, and, mm-hmm. and are helping that without, without government assistance and the government's response to that is, we need to take them out at all costs. Oh, yeah. Right. There's, a, there's a quote from J. Edgar Hoover. He said, <laughs> well, a couple of things. First, we need to, sh- to destroy what they stand for. But then also, we need to eradicate its serve the people programs. Like, the idea that, that like, they're, they're helping others mm-hmm. and they're still like, no, we need to. We need to give it to that. <laughs> yeah. And, and I mean, I think that's, you know, something that, that we've seen, or that is something that we've seen persist uh, in a variety of different ways where, you know, even today where you, you have things like that and people approach it at a certain way. No, not that way. Then they come at it another way. No, not that way. And then eventually you very quickly realize there is no right answer yeah. for you here. You just you just want this all to go away and you want these people to go away or yeah. stay in their place. Yeah. 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 Stay in their place for sure. Um, it's, it's a that's a commonly um, <clears throat> it's a common theme we see um, on, on a lot of adjacent topics. And, um, you know, I, I should point out, too, and not that I'm trying to, like, save my own skin or anything. I'm, I'm not, and pointing out these conversations that are had in this film and these things to think about. I'm not saying, like, uh, yes, you know, socialism, this is the way, you know, or anything like that. But, um, you know, one thing that strikes me, and I guess I'm kind of blending in. I was hoping we could go, like, one performance at a time, like, talk about what the FBI was doing, then talk about Kaluuya, then about the Keith Stanfield and then, you know, go one character at a time because everybody really bring carries their weight in this yeah. movie. And oh, it's, yeah. mm-hmm. it's quite good, but I'm going to break my own role here a little bit because, um, in, in terms of how the FBI treats the black Panthers in the film and how they view them, it, even like the higher up you go, the more sinister it is. Like, um, the phrase, the black Messiah is not some sacrilegious, um, label given to Fred Hampton. That is a documented, so a couple of episodes ago, we were talking about One Night in Miami, and I was talking about like the the Who Killed Malcolm X series on Netflix and stuff. This was not the first time I heard the phrase Black Messiah. I actually heard it in the Who Killed Malcolm X uh, documentary that's, I'm sure, pretty sure still on Netflix right now. Um, That is from a declassified FBI document. And in that scene in the beginning of the movie where Hoover is talking to all the FBI agents and like, we need to avoid the rising of a black Messiah mm-hmm. um, in the community or else, you know, basically they'll, they'll lose control and all this other stuff. So Hampton was just considered one of those, just like yeah. Malcolm was. Mm-hmm. And so it was, it was a, it was a uh, calculated move yeah. to, to cut him down. And, and as we should point out to um, Tim, you brought this to my attention before we got to recording um, is that, you know, the, the film portrays the actors like at their real ages, like at the actors ages, which, you know, yeah. Daniel Kaluuya is in his early thirties and like he Stanfield's in his late twenties, but Fred Hampton was 21 yeah. when he died and William O'Neill was 17. Seven, yeah. yeah. 
William O'Neill, a a a coerced yeah. criminal, turned into an FBI informant as a seventeen-year-old yeah. kid. Which I really think not that I'm not. I don't want to say it was a mistake. I think Stanfield was amazing, and I think it worked really well. But I feel like I wonder if if you had actually seen someone who was actually seventeen, you be kind of coerced or kind of convinced to to infiltrate and become an informant. I wonder if you could kind of see, oh, yeah, he's 17. He's, you know, the police, I'm sure, were threatening him, the FBI, you know. I wonder, well, maybe not, but I wonder if it would have, how, how that would have influenced that sort the of The narrative thing. makes a lot more sense mm-hmm. knowing that Neil was 17. Yeah. 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 Well. So they intimidated him anyways. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think just, like, I didn't know till the end, yeah, that, um Fred Hampton was, was 21 and that was, and it was a weird, like that was one of the most impactful moments of it all for me. And just seeing it in text as like a, you know, not a tack on to the film, but you know, after the, the story had been told. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, again, it goes back to what I've said on past podcasts of like, you know, not trying to relate or compare your experiences, but trying to find a framework for um, how you can better interpret this. And I was thinking back to myself, like at, at 21, I mean, I'm 41 now, um, literally half my life ago in, in college, when, when we were in college, trying to imagine shouldering that kind of responsibility now, let alone at that age, and how much less I knew and, you know, how, you know, I was a lot more, you know, reacted more emotionally to, to different things. And I was just, just floored by that. So yeah, in a way I kind of wish they would have maybe as great as the performances was, I am kind of curious, like how it would have, yeah. you know, landed with me or, and landed with audiences if you had had, sort of age appropriate actors playing those roles because that was really what struck me was because I didn't, I didn't realize he was that young and thinking about, you know, what, again, what he had to go through and, and his role as this, you know, quote unquote black Messiah. And then also to think about how the government was so afraid of this 21 year old that they went to those lengths to get rid of him was, it just blew my mind. One, one thing I'm so glad that they did, because to, to imagine a 21-year-old, but then also being able to start uniting all these other um, groups, like the, um, yes. the Young Patriots, that kind of the, the white kind of gang. Um, and then I don't remember the, there's a Puerto Rican group, I forget their name yeah. now. But being able to unite so many people, you know, basically saying, hey, we're all, we're all fighting the same thing. We're all, we all have the same problems. Let's work together. And I know the you know if I seeing this from a twenty one year old saying oh he's he's pulling so many people from different walks of life uh, together man that's what a, I don't know Just imagine a twenty one year old doing that wow well yeah and, and and not only that but he also like rival black gangs he he joins them yeah. up to yeah pounds. and like it. Magnetic, just these scenes are magnetic. Him walking into enemy territory and tells his his own men and women to de-arm themselves yeah. before they walk into knowingly hostile territory. Man, 
And yeah. then the way he just, he's so persuasive in this role, like um, all these scenes, and I'm thinking particularly where he walks basically into that white supremacist meeting mm-hmm. and gives this analogy of like, when your house is on fire, your priorities are water and escape. Now, like, it doesn't matter. Your other differences don't matter at that point. And he begins to appeal to this group of people who would just as well see him hang from a tree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and- they are just as mistreated by the government yeah. as he and his people are. Yeah. And this is a small thing, but once they started working together out of – this is a very small thing, but I, I love this. I learned this recently. I thought this was so neat. Out of respect for Fred Hampton and for the Black Panthers that the young patriots at White Spring, they stopped um, wave, or carrying – they stopped using the Confederate flag just out of, out of respect. Finding common ground with your yeah. philosophical enemies. So this mm-hmm. is However, I had it written down. And, you know, you talk about his, we talk about his age and how young he was when he died. And I want to go back to like that, you know, the I am a revolutionary speech, which is just, oh, gosh. It's wow. And like Kalu just like leaves it all on the stage, like in that scene. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's crazy. And um, apparently, oh, man, I wish. No, no, I'm thinking about a different scene. We'll get to that later. Um, but. I think about, you know, he, he starts provoking and, and talking about, you know, murdering police, bringing satisfaction and stuff like that. And, and to go back and think he was 21 when he said that, like, it doesn't take anything away from the fact that he did say that um, and, and said those kinds of things, even though he was doing a lot of nonviolent things, you know, in, in his, what, what he was, you know, ver- what he was preaching versus what he was practicing, you know, Um it seemed like he was really just a provocateur who, when it came down to, to doing things, he was really just doing what was right in the, the eyes of the community, you know. So because, you know, you never see him take violence against the police or against the government or anything like that. As a matter of fact, he he shouts down Lakeith Stanfield uh, later in the movie when he goes to that length to threaten to, like, you know, blow up City Hall or whatever. And... He's like, that's not how we do this, you know, yeah. and um, it just makes me wonder if if he had lived long enough, would he have cooled off a little bit, you know, because you think about, you know, Jared, you were talking about this. I, I think about the things that made me angry and and how confident I was. Right. <laughs> to speak about things <laughs> publicly. That's it. That's it. Uh, consequence that's, that's yeah. exactly that's exactly what I mean. Yeah. 21 and I'm almost 40 myself now and I'm like. Why don't we pump the brakes first? <laughs> right. Yep. <laughs> Big declarations. Let me hit delete on that draft. I'm not going to post that after all. Yeah. You know these these oh, kinds yeah. of things, and and it makes you know we we touched on that a little bit with Malcolm X a, a few episodes ago. Like he was seeming to, I wouldn't say disavow his beliefs per se, but but he was recognizing that maybe he might have come on too strong in some of his previous statements, and you know he was he was just starting to get allowed to live long enough to evolve on some of his ideas, you know? Right. Yeah. And he, like Fred Hampton was just getting started Yeah. Uh, as an adult. And so the, um, anyway, great, great performance by, by Daniel Kalia. So with, um, sorry, I'm getting the hiccups a little bit. Um, Lakeith Stanfield's performance as, as a William O'Neill, I, I thought it was an interesting choice. Um, by by the director and the, and, the, and the filmmakers here to start the movie with Lakeith Stanfield as 
the older version of William O'Neill for this like PBS documentary that was that was made, and mm-hmm. the film ends with the real Bill O'Neill's final statements, um, and he talks about being a part of the struggle, which is something that was discussed you know, briefly in the film, and and how you relate to that. Um, but um, what a what a vivid example of again you know a seventeen year old kid we we see this now learning about how old they were but um, that's it makes so much more sense to me now knowing that he's seventeen that he would go into a bar and pretend to be uh, <laughs> an FBI agent to try to fool some gang members into stealing their car you know like not a great plan you know I, and um, but then again not a great plan is like the the family crest of all seventeen year olds you know like mm-hmm. it's yeah. Uh, so that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, uh, you know, he's, you know, for those who haven't seen the movie, you know, he's quickly arrested, uh, when they find out that he is impersonating an FBI agent, then an, F, an actual FBI agent, um, intimidates him into becoming a criminal informant and has him, uh, uh, what is the dumb word infiltrate thank you it's getting late uh, <laughs> infiltrate the black panthers and hopes to betray um fred hampton and it's an interesting relationship that not only uh o'neill has with hampton but the relationship that o'neill also has uh what was jesse Plum- mitchell uh, agent mitchell mm-hmm. that he the relationship he has with Mitchell and in turn, the relationship Mitchell has with the rest of the FBI. Yes. Um, it is not so black and white, no pun intended, um, to, to do that. Like he's like Mitchell, my, my take anyways, is that Jesse Plemons character Mitchell is like, I have my orders. I have a job to do. And that is to, you know, um, destabilize, uh, you know, Fred Hampton basically. Um, but we start to find that, and, and so it's, it's infuriating, but like they throw Hampton in jail for, they arrest him for stealing ice cream. Yeah. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. Which the movie never really, like, I'm not even sure he did that. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's not even certain, but yeah, he was arrested for stealing, I think it was like $71 worth of ice cream and giving and it away to kids. Do 18 months for stealing ice cream or something like that. And, you know, they arrest him in the middle of, of the cafeteria in front of all the children and stuff and, and pull him out. And really, you know, the, the onus and the intentions behind that display is to try to destabilize the whole black Panther party in that area. Um, because they really go on the attack against them with increased police presence and agitation and, and all this stuff while he's in. And then they're feeding him newspaper articles and stuff about how the party is suffering uh, and stuff while he's on the inside. And, um, you know, Lakeith the whole time, it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, Jared, we, we had mentioned this earlier, but one, one trivia uh, thing about the movie um, from the director um, Shaka King has described the initial idea for the film as the departed inside the world of COINTELPRO, which was the counterintelligence program of the FBI. Mm-hmm. He thought it was a clever way to sort of, quote, sort of Trojan horse a Fred Hampton biopic and introduce the world, you know, a great segment of the world who is unaware of who he was and is highly unaware of the Panthers' politics and ideology. And really, um, O'Neill's story really is kind of reminiscent 
of uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's in The Departed. Yeah. Yeah, in a way. Um, to where he's pressured into this high anxiety situation. Um, except one different thing happens to O'Neill is that you see him the longer, like you see, you, even from the beginning, really, he's like, man, these guys ain't, ain't no terrorists. Right. Well, it's like, I don't know. He, he's almost looking at him at the beginning. Like all y'all's Intel is, is bogus. <laughs> like, <Right. laughs> nothing like what you said. And so, you know, Mitchell keeps trying to work on him to try to like, you know, to your point, Jerry, you said, you know, they were talking about, um, the Black Panthers and the KKK being two sides of the same coin or something. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, they, they argue that a little bit and you can see O'Neill is really, at least initially and for a good part of the movie, just in it for himself. Like, he's like, if I can get a better life for myself, then I'll do whatever you need me to do. And, and then let, just let me go. Mm-hmm. And then you find out like so many of these situations, once Hampton is arrested, one, Mitchell thinks they're done, you know, and right. I that wasn't actually a, a, a very um, compensating uh, scene um, for for uh, the filmmakers to include is the conversation he has with Hoover um, after Hampton is incarcerated, because at that point, Mitchell thinks it's over. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, no, it's not over. Like. It's like, you know, like when he's like, when basically it's like when I said eliminated, I mean eliminated, you know, and, and Mitchell's like, uh, what? Right. <laughs> you know, it's like, he's off the streets. What, why do you have to keep pushing this? And, and so now he's being threatened. And so all those threats and intimidation are now being forced downhill, mm-hmm. which Mitchell then turns on O'Neill again, who also thought he was done. He's like, y'all got him. I don't need to do this anymore. Let me leave. And so they continue to hang that sword over O'Neill's head of like, well, we got you for these charges. And so we'll just charge you for them instead. Yeah. Um, to where he has no way out. Yeah. Well, yeah. and I mean, it, it's definitely a, a rock and a hard place for him because even let's say they, I mean, they could always come up with something to charge him with or whatever, but say they didn't even want to go that route all they would have to do is leak the information to the black Panthers that he was an informant. And so then, and so then at some point in the film, he becomes terrified of, Oh, what happens if these people find out? I mean, I've seen, you know, he's seen what's happened uh, when they found, you know, someone else who was an informant and they tortured and killed them. So then, well, even more than that, it was so convoluted. Like their informant actually killed a legit Panther and framed the victim as the informant. Like the guy who came and told that story to him was actually an FBI informant pretending that he had found an FBI informant. Oh, okay. I didn't say that. So like they just straight up killed, I mean, for lack of a better term, an innocent uh, Panther and, and then, and said, Oh, we found a rat and did, did did all that stuff, you know? Um, so even on top of that, it's, yeah, it's really twisted. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, he really is, I mean, you know, so it's not like he could feel safe turning to the party and just disappearing because if that gets out, then suddenly he's at risk of being killed by them. So, yeah. Yeah. Rocking a hard place indeed. Tim, anything for, uh, O'Neill, from your from vantage point. No, no, I I think you guys said it really well. Yeah, I mean, it was, 
I really liked, I'm really, I was really intrigued by the way this movie was set up to kind of like make him almost the main character. Even though I've, you know, like you said, Steven, they're both pretty, pretty up there as far as leads, but like to make that sort of, sort of like kind of double, you know, the, the infiltration part of the main plot, I thought was really interesting. And to see, man, to see Stanfield and his, you know, and he, it just that, like he's a rock and a harp, just that struggle with, you know, on one side, I'm, going to jail for this on the other side i have to help do something i don't know how i feel about doing you know it, it was a really i think that was a really man not only to see yeah to see fred hampton and his you know kind of his character but to see stanfield and or neil and just this this constant almost like torture in and of itself just having to be involved in this i thought was really i, I just i really liked the way they kind of set up the story and kind of did it at uh, that angle. Yeah. And I mean, his story culminates in, in, uh, the FBI convincing him to, I mean, they say poison, but sedate Fred Hampton, what the night of an intended raid. So he'll be easy to take out. Um, and what's a really dark and haunting piece of trivia, apparently that scene, um, where they, they have this party, this like sort of late night dinner party with everybody in the, that, that's in the area. They're trying to convince Hampton to leave um, the area and he, he won't do it because he has this devotion to the, and I think that that's um, a really, I mean, it's, it's a moving scene in the midst of all the high strung emotion of the scene where he's speaking at the church and that the moment from the trailer where he says, you know, I'll die for the people because I live for the people and I live for the people because I love the people. And, and he's just not a figure who will abandon everybody. He has been trying to serve this whole time just to save his own skin, which is interesting because he's the opposite side of the coin of O'Neill who has just been trying to save his own skin the entire time. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, and here opportunity after opportunity is being presented to Hampton to save his own skin and he won't do it mm -hmm. uh, because he's living for others. And um, the scene where they're having all of that and um, really well acted, I mean, by everybody, but um, like Keith Stanfield, particularly as he, you see him wrestle with the decision, like if it wasn't already history, you wouldn't be sure if he was going to do it or not. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, because yeah. he had taken this journey because I'm now not being entirely fair to O'Neill, but even though he did decide to do it, um, and his, he, he evolves in emotion and in thought through the course of the movie of let me do whatever I got to do to save my own skin mm -hmm. to these people are not who you say they are toward having, I think a tremendous amount of love and respect for Hampton and his, his girlfriend and, and, um, the people who have cared for him, you know, that they, they have had his back in, the, in these moments. Um, and so anyway, uh, the, the way he grapples with that scene, his, <laughs> this sounds so like such an elementary compliment. His face is so, <laughs> but really like, he, he, he weighs the gravity that he, he carries the gravity of that yeah. entire scene really in his face. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's pretty, uh, well executed anyway. Um, I, I will never get to this point. I'm sorry. That that scene was shot on the 50 year anniversary of the day that it happened. Wow. Um, oh yeah. And um, trying to see Kaluuya was on record saying to be doing that scene on that day. It was really heavy. 
it was really, he said, really a lot of times, really heavy. And everyone felt it. We knew it was a moment. We just knew it was a moment. We had a speech, said a couple words, really thankful to be here and thankful for what Chairman Fred did for us to be here together, to honor him and to honor his words and bringing it to a wider audience. So that was a really heavy day. Even the stuff I was saying in that scene, the decision he makes in that same scene to say that on that day, it was really heavy. I think if I did it another day, I wouldn't be able to do it like I did it. Um, just yeah, just uh, some some haunting stuff right there. Um, but you know, I, I think you know you don't get you, you don't get that full character arc of um, of Fred Hampton's character without. Um, sorry, uh, this is what I get for not having my mouse plugged in. Without uh, Deborah Johnson, uh, the character played by uh, Dominic Fishback, and you know she. She, she is not as front and center as uh, Hampton is and O'Neill is and even uh, Mitchell is from the FBI. But um, she's such a vital role in Hampton's character. Um, you know, she she and uh, Hampton meet early on in the film when he's speaking. And he's already being pretty divisive at that point, even amongst the black community, yeah. let alone all these other characters. And she's the one who stays behind at the meeting. And it's just kind of like, you know, maybe you shouldn't <laughs> give everybody such a hard time. Like, you're a very gifted speaker, <laughs> but um, you're not doing yourself any favors. And, um, you know, she's charming yeah. in her own way. but also speaks a lot of truth to him. And helps him realize that there are ways to communicate his message without unnecessarily pushing away everybody. Reminds me of a very smart woman in my own life. <laughs> um, so it's um, yeah, it's, it's it's she she brings a very effective performance, and um, you know she uh, she is pregnant with his child um, before he goes into jail, but he only learns that of it after. It couldn't have been eighteen months then. He was not not in there for eighteen months because. Well, it, it was where he 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 got early. Um, he got released pending an appeal. Was oh, what it was. Right. And so yeah, that's what it was, yeah. Because Hoover was going to reject his appeal, make sure his appeal got rejected or something like that. Right, right. And and then and then that's when Mitchell said, "Oh, we're done." He's like, "No, we're not done." And they're like, "What do you mean? He's going to go to jail for forever?" Anyway, whatever. Right. Watch right. the movie, you guys. You know, you'll see it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but anyway. You know, he starts to soften up a little bit. I mean, maybe not in his public persona, but it's just, it, I, I mean, think about it. It's, it's like a, it's exactly like a 21 year old who's realizing he's becoming a parent, you know, like maybe, maybe I re, I wouldn't say he rethinks his role in the world, but I think he does think about it a little bit harder, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, she, she kind of helps shift his perspective. And I, and I really think it is her and carrying, you know, their child that really does kind of help him widen his perspective on the antagonistic part of his, uh, uh, part of his persona, because it's not really until after he starts to really weigh, the gravity and, and the consequences of bringing a child into a world where he is got a target on his back mm-hmm. um, that he is then confronted by O'Neill, who is trying to really trying to entrap him. We don't know that at the at the moment, but he's trying to entrap him by talking about blowing up city hall. And, and he's got all the C4 and stuff that they're going to. And, and that's really when you start to hear him 
vocally double down on not being violent in our responses. Like that's not how we're going to do this mm-hmm. and that's not how we're going to win. Yeah. And, um, you've got to wonder or, or consider like if, if, if it's, if it's not without her influence that doesn't broaden that perspective for him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, uh, it's, it's just, it's just really interesting how all of those, um, how all those performances and all of those, um, worldviews kind of come crashing together and how they interact with one another. And, um, I'll say at least that I'm not going to pretend like, you know, like we said before we really got into the nuts and bolts of this movie, you know, us being, uh, self-aware, ignorant people that we are um, on these kinds of topics and still learning. Um, I think at least one big takeaway we can take from this is, is that, you know, history does not always give us a full picture of who people are. Um, and, and and that, that can be for good or for bad. Um, and I think particularly with Hampton, like he, he was a lot more, he was, he was a lot more than what he was painted to be, you know, um, and so I'm grateful that this movie is made, you know, to show that and also to show, um, I, I think, uh, <laughs> I don't know how much, you know, back when we were doing National Treasure, you know, we talked a little bit about the stuff that happened at the Capitol in January and stuff. And um, people who are a lot better educated than me and a lot more articulate than me uh, very clearly were like, you know, that crowd's whiteness played a big role mm-hmm. in the and their survivability. Yes. Um, and that, and, um, you know, look at films like this and look at the history of the FBI's tactics from, from the FBI all the way down through local law enforcement, um, to, to the, uh, subversive tactics to, to eliminate, uh, these other organized groups of people and people of color. Uh, it's not, it's, it's not, not surprising at all that those takes make a whole lot of sense. Um, it's just as just one aspect of that. Yeah, I was just actually um, I was hoping you were going to keep talking longer for a second. I was <laughs> I was looking up. I was looking up to see because there was um, like, I mean, even in our modern times, um, you know, just, just the difference between, I'm trying to think back to when it was, if it was back during the summer or when there was a particular planned demonstration, but yeah, you, you, you had all of these, uh, I believe guys on the Capitol steps that we weren't even sure what law enforcement they were. They, they, yeah. they looked like, you know, it was like a stormtrooper type thing, you know, and <laughs> and it was it was for this, you know, um, march or demonstration or something that just, you know, never amounted to anything in terms of violence or whatever. But it was there and it was ready, you know, and, you know, and juxtapose that with the, the events of January 6th, where you've got this you know, group of very white people, often very armed, um, you know, being stoked and being offered to get ushered down to the Capitol. Um, yeah, it, it, it's it's crazy. Uh, you know, we don't even have to compare 
two different times in history, we can literally compare months apart yeah. and the different responses to it, you know? Yeah. And I thought, you know, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about this a little bit. Just just some more information here about the actual assassination. Um, and and um, I think it's, it is done in a very sobering way, but also really... I really, really appreciate it's very helpful uh, and educational how they kind of talk through the statistics of the assassination and also the um, the events that happened after that. Um, I wish I could find I'm, I'm looking for it now and I can't find it. So forgive me. I'm going to make up some numbers. So um, but when the police entered at 4 a.m., the heavily armed police team arrived at the site. Sorry, I found a Wikipedia article on it, but it doesn't have all the information I actually want um, to give. But but they bust into the apartment, and from the Black Panther side of the skirmish, they say that um, they only... Well, I mean, the facts of the case are that the Black Panther side of the conflict only fired one round of ammunition, and the police fired, like, 99 um, and some people also say, and, and there are accounts that stipulate that that one round was fired as like a death reflex after one person was shot in the chest. Like they pulled the trigger after they were shot and were falling to the ground because because the gun was discharged around into the ceiling. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the single yeah, single round was fired when someone suffered a reflex of death convulsion after being shot. And it was the only shot fired by the Panthers. And they were armed, <laughs> you know, obviously. So, um but um, yeah, and um, it's 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 a really it's a difficult scene to watch. Uh, it's you know it's not. I mean it, it's it's graphic. It, it could be a lot more graphic than it was. It was. Um, yeah, yeah. I feel feel weird using the word tasteful, but like it's it's. I feel like they did a good job of making that scene as digestible as possible, considering how horrible the the truth really was about that moment. Yeah. Um, and. Uh, you know that Black Panthers heard. You know, Fred Hampton was was knocked unconscious from being drugged early in the night, and so he was laying on his bed. And um, other Panthers testified that um, they heard exchange between officers mentioning that he was still alive, and that they heard two shots after that, saying, "Well, he's good and dead now." Um, and uh, that actually, Deborah Johnson was the one reporting that she heard them say he's good and dead now. And that's, that's a lot of dialogue in the movie, um, in that moment. Um, and it's just, man, you can't really get the words, uh, for that. Um, and, and that, and what's crazy is that case was litigated for how many decades, like what, like 30 years, I think, or something. Yeah. I think it was eventually, well, Go ahead, Tim. No, 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 you go ahead. I, I, I think it is, but I don't remember the exact. Yeah, I was looking for the exact details. But, it was um, multiple decades, and I know it started out as like a forty-something million-dollar lawsuit that was eventually oh, yeah. for less than two million dollars. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, it was either is either eighties. I want to say like I want. I think it was the eighties that it was finally. Yeah. So it's just. Uh, um, horrific, you know, yeah. uh, and also, um, you know, the way the film ends, you know, after that is they, they come back and you see the real Bill O'Neill who, who is answering the question that is posed at the beginning of the movie, 
what would you tell your child? What would you want your child to know about your involvement? And so what's interesting is that the epilogue of the film says he committed suicide the night that the documentary that you see his actual footage um, at the end of the movie, the night that that night that that documentary aired on television. Right. Um, but apparently another piece of trivia on that uh, brings that into question, whether or not but, um, they say he was found dead on January 15th, 1990 after running into traffic on interstate 290. He was 40 years old. Though his death was ruled a suicide, his wife claimed that it was accidental. Um, O'Neill tried another suicide attempt before the crash where he was stopped from jumping out of his second-story window. Though his uncle claimed he was filled with guilt working with the FBI, O'Neill claimed in several interviews that he had, quote, no allegiance with the Black Panther Party. So maybe, maybe not. I don't know. And, you know, and normally I'm not – Obviously, the three of us all know one another about how we feel about conspiracy theories in this day and age. Um, but in this regard, seeing everything else, uh, you know, I, I'm not so quickly dismissive um, mm-hmm. of that. But um, I, I would, I would, I would believe either account. I, I think in that situation, I could see him being so racked with guilt that he, especially once it go, once it went public like that. Um, then he wouldn't maybe wouldn't be able to cope with it, and I could also see, you know, the alternative happening given how uh, devious <laughs> um, those FBI programs were and how committed they were to tying up all their loose ends. So yeah. uh, you can see that going away. Well, and, and and I'm not even like necessarily completely anti-conspiracy theory. It's just I think in the modern day and age people are terrible at it. Like they, they, like I see all these and I'm like, there could be something here. It could be any one of um, 99 different things. And you picked number 100, the one that it absolutely could not be, you know? So. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of truth. In that. Yeah. Yeah. Or is there? Mm-hmm. Um, wow. Yeah. Um, you know, interestingly enough to like, um, there is, uh, you know, uh, the mother of Fred Hampton's child, uh, Deborah, sorry, I don't mean to be disrespectful from her. I just can't remember if I'm about to say the actress's name or, or the real person's name. I need to just go back up for okay. a second. Um, because one's named Dominique and one's named Deborah. Uh, Deborah is the actual, it's the real historical figure, Deborah Johnson. Right. Yeah. 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 Deborah Johnson, you know, she, she gives birth to, to Fred's, uh, to, to her, her baby, her and Fred's baby. And, um, he grows up to be the chairman of this new, new take on the black Panther party. And I think is, is in Illinois or is it somewhere else? I, I don't remember. But, um, but anyway, she sits like on the board or something for this social group and, and he, and Fred Hampton jr. Is, is the chairman for it. Um, mm-hmm. Which, you know, is a, an interesting um, development on, on the legacy, his legacy moving forward and, um, you know, you know, continuing serving communities, um, serving underserved communities and, and things like that. But, um, yeah, any, I don't know, man, any, any, any lingering thoughts on the film? Want to um, anything? 
I I thought it was uh, I really liked the conversation between Fred Hampton and the mom of I've forgotten the character's name, but it's his friend who gets shot in the the store like shootout with the cops. Yeah. Um, and I think that guy was actually played um, by like sort of the middle actor. Uh, who played Chiron in Moonlight. Oh, okay. Um, I know he's in the movie. I just can't remember which character he played, but I think he played the character that I'm thinking of. Yeah. Um, Jimmy Palmer? I think it was Jimmy Palmer. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Which played Chiron, yeah. Middle. Yeah. Nade Chiron from uh, Moonlight. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I thought they had a, I thought they had a great conversation there. I don't, I don't really have any major in-depth insights on that. I, I just, that, that just, um, stood out to me. Yeah, that was, it was a good scene. And, you know, that was also really heartbreaking too. You know, we didn't even talk about that, but you know, uh, Jimmy Palmer is, is killed by uh, police. Um, when he walks into, I guess like a convenience store or something like that, when he sees police harassing someone and he, you know, tries to stand up for the people in the neighborhood and they draw on him and he draws on them and uh, he ends up getting shot in the hospital all while Fred's in, still incarcerated. And they then go and, um, um, you know, it's never really said, mm-hmm. but um, he seems to, they, they won't allow any of the other Panthers to come visit him just to check on his well-being because he's got a, he's guarded by a police officer at his door and then, um, one day you find out that they just moved him somewhere and then he died. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, that, you know, the film gives you the idea that you know, there were some really suspicious circumstances considering he seemed to have been recovering well, mm-hmm. uh, uh, when he, but when he was in hospital, hospital care, uh, Tim, any, anything we, you didn't get a chance to bring oh, up, man, that's a good question. I don't think so. I think, I think we hit a lot of it. I, I, I guess this is not necessarily movie related, but just reality. Just it's so interesting to think that you know we brought up the fact that you know he was twenty one when he was killed, and you know when we think of these great figures of the civil rights, you know like who were assassinated, like Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X, they were all in their late you know thirty nine when they were mm-hmm. killed, and just yeah. imagining, you know, seeing how much Hampton had had already all the strides he'd already made and all the stuff he was already doing, to see you know I don't know just imagining how much further he could have taken things and how, how much he could have done is really it's really crazy i mean even i didn't i don't know if they said this in the movie i can't remember but uh his funeral five thousand people attended his his yeah. funeral which is crutch i mean man it's just to have made such an impact at that young of an age you just wonder yeah. what what he could have done what could have happened you know uh later on but man no pressure for any 21-year-olds who are I know. <laughs> at this point to change the world. Um, Changing the world through TikToks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, really, though, I mean, what a, you know, what a legacy to leave behind. And, and uh, you know, I'm just, I, I, I'm still, you know, listen, you know, I wouldn't have shared Fred Hampton's politics probably, you know, um, or even his views on how to engage the police, um, particularly in a lot of those speeches. Um, but there's really something to be said about, um, meeting, meeting the needs of the community and not, um, you know, 
it's one thing for people to to chastise those who go to the government or something for dependency and just sit back in your you know recliner and point fingers but he he had purpose and why he didn't want people to do that and and because he was willing to be that help instead and um and i and i and, and to mobilize other people to also be that help um and because so he would take those opportunities to teach uh children and and you know th- there is indoctrination going on but you never see any scenes at least in the film of him teaching any you know planning any of the kind of incendiary seeds that he would say like in his more antagonistic speeches you know mm-hmm. um and you know i think that's a good that that is a uh, not not that it's a blueprint that like the church should follow but it is a good example that they should already be replicating like instead of looking on the disenfranchised and the underserved in communities like instead of telling them to you know use any encouragements that involve the word bootstraps maybe like go go be the help that they need because because some people are going to need it and and they they either won't receive it and and they'll suffer um or they'll get it from somewhere else you know um so you know i i I don't want to be so corny as to use that be the change you wanted to see in the world phrase but but you know that that is to an effect what he was doing um, and I think just, again, just being intentional and relational with others and, um, getting, you know, get, getting to, to see the needs of people, getting to know the needs of people. Cause like, you know, when like that scene where he goes and visits Jimmy Palmer's mother, like he's having, it's like, he's visiting an extended relative at that point you know, when he's, he's meeting with her and like, they are they are grieving, but they're also fellowshipping, you know, uh, in, in that scene too. Um, and he's not using that time to mobilize her. Like he's, he's, he's empathizing with her. Like, you know, so that is a very human look at someone who, for the three of us, I mean, none of us probably knew that name, uh, when we were younger or even when we were 21 ourselves, but, um, but it's, but it's a real humanizing look at, what um, some people in groups would would picture as a um, antagonistic figure in history, you know. Mm-hmm, so yeah. um, I think it's been it, one just it works incredibly well as a to, to put a bow on this and for me to stop talking. It works incredibly well as a film. I'll, I will be very surprised if when the Academy Award nominations come out, depending on how many you can never predict how many Best Picture nominations are going to have every year. But if they're on the high end, like, you know, when they have like eight or nine films, you know, nominated, if this doesn't make that cut, I'm going to be very surprised. Um, I could see a world where it doesn't make the cut if there's only like five films, maybe, because there have been a lot of good films this year. Um, but but them and, and Kaluuya not getting a nomination, I, I will be I'll be very surprised um, if, if they don't get any recognition from there. But who knows? Um you know, uh, I'm not a part of the Academy, so what do I know? But um, it works as a film, and it, and it really works as a um, deeper deeper exploration into American history uh, as well. Um, and it offers uh, an alternative view um, that's that's I think needed for a lot of people who aren't very familiar with these topics. Um, it's a good it's a good starter mm-hmm. um, for that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's I mean, this whole 
you know, month and series has been great for me and educational for me. I mean, genuinely, I'm not just trying to come up with something to wrap this up. Uh, I mean, it really has. Um, and it's, you know, it's not material that I would really dive into on my own, not because of the subject matter of the racial issues, but, of you know, just kind of in general, I, I, like I've said before, I lean more towards, you know, sci-fi sort of things, superhero sort of things, which in, in their own right can deal with sort of these topics, but just not on such a heavy level. And with my entertainment, I tend to, um, gravitate towards stuff that's, you know, it can deal with that stuff, but it's, um, something of an escape too. So, um, so yeah, this has all been great for me and, and it, it, you know, in, in looking at this movie in particular and this figure in particular, I think it's come at a really good time for me in light of, not just, you know, what's happened in America over the last several years or even the last year in particular, but even in my own life and the way my views have changed and evolved. Um, and, and apart from regardless of how much they would align or, or not align with, with a figure like this, I think at the very least, like my perspective has expanded to be able to put myself in someone's position like that and see like, eh, you know, in those circumstances, how different or how similar, you know, would I have been? Because I, I think, um, you know, in, in, like I said before, in, in kind of viewing things through a lens of like Xavier and Magneto, um, which again, I'm sorry, if for, for all the people, for all the listeners who <laughs> hate any sort of comic or references like that. Sorry, this is just the way I deal with this stuff. In uh, sort of that lens, it's like, you know, I, I, I think as I get older, in some ways I see myself relating more to, to Magneto on that side of things. And so when I think about a figure like this, I'm like, you know, this is my mindset in an era where things are, are, are relatively good, um, you know, for, for someone of my, um, skin color and, you know, and, and, you know, there's all sorts of different issues that factor in there, but I, I try to put myself then in that time period and to be, you know, a black man in that time period, like what would I have been like when I already have, things that I will just just about go nuclear on in today's age where it's frustrating, but it's not impacting my life on anything close to that sort of level. I'm not having to worry about going to prison on all these different things. So it, it all kind of comes together to, you know, I'm really happy that, uh, you know, I got this experience at this time because I think it means a lot more now and gives me a better perspective now than it would have five years ago, 20 years ago, even, you know, a little over a year ago. Mm. That's good. Those are good thoughts, man. Um, yeah, I'm, you know, as we're reflecting, because I guess this is really is our wrapping up our, our Black History Month episodes and stuff. It really don't want me until we're talking about it now. You too, Tim. <laughs> we're like, oh, yeah, we're not doing it anymore. <laughs> Next week. We're going to be off to a new topic, which we'll, we'll talk about before we, before we give our closing lines. But, um, that was mine. That was my closing line. <laughs> you're not allowed to speak anymore. Jeff. That's right. Um, you're done. Um, but 
yeah, I, I think revisiting these films and, and the, the variety and the consistency um, of the threads that came through, you know, from Night in Miami to Ma Rainey to Moonlight to this. Um, one kind of convicting thought I've, I've had the past few months with just trying to engage with some voices that are that are different than what I usually carry in my company um, lately is, you know, um, there, there's a real self-reassuring thought. Um, I'll, I'll at least say we as white people tend to take amongst ourselves, which is like, you know, if we were alive during Martin Luther King's day, we all would have had his back. Um, yeah. and, and no, we wouldn't. Exactly. No, 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 <laughs> the three of us, oh, yeah. but, uh, but there's so many of us that absolutely would not. Oh, yeah. Um, you might and, be going in this direction, but his, but Martin Luther King Jr., like his, you know, quote unquote approval rating among white people when he died was like 30%. Like most people thought he was too aggressive. You know, a lot of the things that we, we revere him now, I, you know, but he was, he was not, not liked by a lot of people. Go ahead. Yeah. I'm sorry. I keep cutting you off. I no, mean, no, too. No, no. You might have already been going in that direction, though. I don't even have. <laughs> With their seven days left in in Black History Month, because because Lord knows we can't do any more after that. Um, seri- no, but ser- seriously, if you've never read Letters from a Birmingham Jail, like read the whole thing, not not a meme or a, uh, a post or anything. I, I'm forever grateful to. Um, uh, no, I hope, I'll just well, I'll say his name, Dr. Stephen Ecker. He, he was a seminary professor of mine. He taught, uh, well, he still teaches at, at my seminary, but um, I took him for a church history course, and he required required us to read that as part of church history oh, wow. um, um, because a lot of it was addressed to white Protestant pastors um, and, and their failure to engage. Um, and their and their constant advocacy of don't protest like that. Yeah. Or just wait a little bit longer. You know, your time will come. You know, just don't do anything right now. All of the shrouded language of let's just keep things the way they are. Um, and uh, you know, it, so you have to ask yourself when you when you see a voice pushing for something different for a change. And I'm not saying that every change that gets pushed for is is something we should be embracing, but but. But some of them that are, do you find yourself bristling up against that? Or, you know, are you like, well, let me let me hear what this person has to say. Maybe they're right. Maybe they have, well, maybe I haven't been listening to this kind of a voice, you know. And so when when we revisit that thought of like, oh, yeah, we, we would have done the right thing, you know, in the past. Like I'm like the right thing. Opportunities are still happening today. And, and we're seeing how how a lot of people are responding to that. And and. Yeah, so it is a mirror to who we are now, and so it's it's worth examining um, to examine yourself. Well, and I said that was my last thing, but I lied. Now I've, <laughs> I've had, we've had more we've had more stuff, so I have new takes on this. Uh, so uh, yeah, no, I, I think you're exactly right, and um, you know I can remember more like growing up as a kid in the way. Martin Luther King Jr. was presented than I can like the Black Panthers or Malcolm X. Really, you know, in the area I grew up in, Martin Luther King Jr. was almost presented as sort of, I guess, what Malcolm X was. Um, and maybe even bordering on what uh, Fred, you know, Hampton, uh, you know, his tactics and things like that. Um, 
and and you're right and going back to what we said before about uh, you know, the, the disinformation campaign from the FBI and, and how that's, you know, persisted even today, you got to think about how we're viewing this through uh, decades and decades of, of um, you know, history and, and hindsight and education. Um, and, and if you were there at the time in your limited sphere of information, you know, how easy would it have been to have, you know, bought into some false narrative and 30 years from now, you know, look at the narratives that we're going to have about the time period now, or look, look how they've even changed from, uh, you know, I mean, with, with the kneeling with, with Colin Kaepernick's kneeling from several years ago till now, um, and trying and, and trying to talk to people then uh, about that, um, you know, I've got friends who we've had a lot of conversations about that. And, and you know, I tried to tell them at the time, like, like, I mean, for me, this is, this is an, I mean, what, what do you have to complain about with this here? This is an, uh, you know, it's a passive protest. It, you know, it's peaceful. It, it gets lots of attention. Um, and it's taken years and I've seen a couple of people come around to it since then. Um, but yeah, it, when when you're in in the moment, it's very different than you know looking back at it uh, several years later or decades later. So yeah, yeah. I mean, hindsight is helpful for sure. I mean, like you know, if you if anything, what the three of us can be testament to is you know it's I wouldn't say it's never too late, but you know I mean because you know we all die at some point. But you know, as as long as you're breathing, there's there's still time to progress and in, in your and in, in the things that you might have been wrong about you know um while it's while it's important and, and highly effective if you have the opportunity to make the right decision in the, in the current context of the issue uh, that's great um but that doesn't mean that you're never allowed to come around uh mm-hmm. on the issue either um you know or else we well, never mind. I'm not going to finish that sentence. But um, so yeah, uh, it's 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 been a real um, <laughs> pleasure. Feels like an unfair word to use in this situation, but it's it's been. I've really enjoyed this exercise this month and doing it. Um, I thought it would be, you know. Um, <laughs> I was afraid like it would come off gimmicky or something like that, you know, like we're, we're just this kind of thing we're doing, but I'm really glad that we were able to find some unique content um, to, to that. And um, for what it's worth too, I meant to, I meant to say one of these weeks, cause we weren't going to be able to obviously do tons and tons of um, films in, in four weeks. But um, I also, I, I saw a couple of other things this month that we didn't do episodes on. I saw the, uh, I would call it a sort of a, a fanciful take on the life of Harriet Tubman uh, called Harriet, um, which is stars. Ah, oh man, I shouldn't have started that sentence thinking I was going to remember that actress's name. But it's the lady who's in the other HB, in the HBO series, The Stranger or The Outsider. What was it called? What's the Stephen series, Jared? Uh, the out. I think The Outsider. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. She was she was great in that. Yeah. yeah. Cynthia Arrivo, I think, is how you is how you pronounce her last name. I think. But anyway, uh, she plays uh, Harriet Tubman. It's a that's a fantastic yeah. film. Like it's not. You know, it's not it's no Ken Burns documentary in terms of <laughs> historical accuracy. They, they take a there's a couple of liberties um, they take in there. But I mean, that's not really the point 
of the movie though. Like it's, yeah. it's really more kind of give you a, a sort of a holistic, uh, approach and like her, her drive to, to operate, you know, her, her contributions in the underground railroad. And, and, uh, and also, I mean, she's, Anyway, she gives a really larger than life performance. It's really, it's really cool. Uh, Leslie Odom Jr. is also in that. You know? Oh, nice. Um, and so is uh, Janelle Monae. Uh, but anyway, that's that's, that's a really that that was that was on HBO Max when we saw it. Um, I don't know. If, I hope it's still there. But that's a fun one to watch too. Um, look back to previous episodes for some some extra things. Oh, uh, Tim, were you the one telling me about the trial of Chicago Seven? No, but I still need to see it. I have not seen it yet. Yeah. No, but it's good. <laughs> Might have been a friend from work. Don't worry. Uh, but uh, that is, that's also getting a lot of award attention uh, as well. That's on Netflix. Nice. And, and, and and the events of that movie in history at least run kind of parallel with Judas and the Black Messiah. Um, so if you guys are interested in, in, in watching that as well, that that's available too on Netflix. So uh, back in lighten the mood um, for, for a moment, uh, we're, we're really glad you guys have joined us and I hope you join us next week. We are um, our next task that we're going to try to undertake. So uh, we're going to get back as Jared mentioned into the sort of sci-fi comic things. So, uh, for those of you who follow superhero franchises, you may have heard of a little film that could or could not called Justice League. And um, there has been uh, a plan to release the original, well, I said the original cut, but Zack Snyder, director Zack Snyder's cut of that film, which should be released sometime in mid-March. So what we are hoping to do is revisit some of the DC superhero films that lead up to that narratively, like Man of Steel, Batman versus Superman. And some others. So anyway, uh, if for nothing, they will make for some interesting conversation. There's not as <laughs> the stakes are not as high in those movies, so uh, I feel I feel more comfortable being a little more critical uh, when when it calls for it. Um, but anyway, it should be a, should be a lot of fun. Jared uh, is a is a stand, as the kids say, for Man of Steel. So, um, so it should be a fun conversation. Um, and I don't hate Man of Steel. I don't. I, I I love Superman as a character very much. Um, but anyway, I, I think I mentioned I had a fantasy football team one time that I that I named, and and you really can't get the tone across in text, but it was meant to be said like Man of Steel was okay. <laughs> and, and I actually I actually had a guy email me and like, dude, I love. <laughs> I love your team name, and that's exactly how I feel about the movie. Like, it wasn't as bad as people right. thought it was. It's not. So, so anyway, I, I felt so validated and vindicated <laughs> that, that someone got what I was going for there. I think that is the canonical take on Man of Steel. Um, we'll, we'll talk about it more. I think I think Zack Snyder has an axe to grind with adoptive fathers, but I'll say more of that uh, <laughs> uh, for, for next time. Um, but anyways, uh, guys, I really appreciate you joining us this week, this month. Um, let us know, um, you know, we are, we love, um, I love anyways, uh, trying to plan our calendars for the future. So if there's any kind of, um, films or ideas you, you'd love to hear us talk about, please let us know, uh, reach out to us on social media or whatever. And, um, we just appreciate you listening and until next time, keep working on your night cheese.
Um, it's a real mouthful, but Daniel Kaluuya says it so smoothly. It's 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 honestly kind of enviable. 